name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast. Our show today is about all things transportation in the state of Minnesota. We had on two transit heavyweights, State Senator Scott Dibble, who serves as the chair of the Senate's Transit Subdivision, and Peter McLaughlin, a Hennepin County Commissioner for District 4, who is also the chair of the county's Transit Improvement Board. We talked about all things transit with them, about where Minnesota has come, what projects it's currently working on, and what the future holds for us. They covered how these projects ended up happening, because often they involve lots of different uh, organizations and municipalities, so there's cities and counties and the state, and how do you get them all on board with something so that serves the needs of their constituents and communities, and also is somewhat forward-thinking, where you're building not only infrastructure for now, but something that meets the needs for folks in 20 years or 30 years and all the different people that uh, are projected to move to the state of Minnesota. For next week's show, we are doing a special show with the podcast group Wrong About Everything. So they discuss Minnesota politics and provide their own perspectives on issues facing the state. But after the show, we are going to stick around and live stream the first presidential debate. So come for the show at 7 o'clock at the Bryant Lake Bowl, Monday, September 26th, and then stick around and watch the first debate with the Wrong About Everything crew and the Theater of Public Policy cast. It'll be a lot of fun, we promise. In this sort of tumultuous time of decisive politics, come join us, have a beer, and laugh while watching the debate together. Also, uh, if you enjoyed the show, please consider reviewing it on iTunes. We'd really appreciate any feedback that you might have, and it also helps other people find out about it. Um, That's everything, I think. Uh, Please enjoy this transit show. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks. Uh, theater of Public Policy, a couple things. Uh, this uh, whole season, we have a, a two amazing sponsors, both MinPost. Uh, anyone here a MinPost reader? It's good. So they're, they're uh, co-sponsoring with us. So uh, big thanks to MinPost for being a sponsor of this season. And then also, you might have noticed this big green barrel when you came in for Finnegan's, which is all throughout the season, we collect canned goods for our Finnegan's food drive. Uh, Thank you. That's very nice. And um, uh, so if you bring a canned food donation to any of our shows, you get $2 off a Finnegan's beer. And then very excitingly, the night that we completely fill that food barrel, everybody in the audience gets a free beer. I love it. So uh, if you ever come back to one of our show, which based on applause, you probably won't, uh, bring a canned good with you, and uh, we'll, have a, we'll have a great time, and we'll help feed the hungry. So uh, tonight is a fantastic show. I'm super excited for both our guests. There are actually two people who I have both wanted to have uh, on the show for a long time. So uh, without further ado, uh, we'll, do the, we'll give them each their own round of applause uh, to not create some sort of intra-party conflict. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, first up, can you please help me in welcoming to stage, uh, Senator Scott Dibble, chair of the Senate Transportation Committee. And now, yes, please. And then, uh, and then, uh, Hennepin County Commissioner, uh, chair of CTIB, uh, Peter McLaughlin. I purposely introduced you in order of jacket noise. So, 
<laughs> it is the, you know, I don't get many occasions to wear this. But right, can I just ask, not. what occasions have you ever had to wear this? <laughs> My college reunion. Okay, so that was that's it. good. I didn't, clown colleges have a reunion. He's, he's, so. al- he's already married, so. <laughs> it's mean. Okay, so, uh, so excited. Thank you both so much for being here. Um, we're here to talk about transportation and transit and uh, all these good things. So I kind of wanted to start with just a, a big, broad picture. We, we ended our last show last season right the last day of the Minnesota legislature. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot to talk about, so it was a boring show. Uh, so, uh, but... Uh, was there a lot of weeping? <laughs> no, I, I, there was beer involved. Oh, okay. so, um, so at the end of the – that was one of the big sticking points, right, was a, a transportation bill uh, didn't get through as a lot of things didn't get through. And so uh, we were sort of in limbo for a lot of summer, and we've been playing this, like, will they, won't they with the special <laughs> session uh, all type. So where are we right now in terms of just uh, the big broad picture, a transportation bill – uh, for Minnesota, generally. Well, I, well uh, the short version is we're at won't they, or they they won't they won't. <laughs> they won't. The uh, for the record, everyone needs to know the Senate has passed three times a very large and progressive, and varied transportation bill. So, um, so we have a and uh, with strong support from the governor. So that leaves one party kind of off uh, in the field somewhere resisting. So, well, tell us about what is that transportation bill? Like, what, what was in it and that didn't happen? Well, the, the, uh, the short version, without getting in too deep in the weeds, is uh, just a comprehensive set of investments to, uh, to really uh, bolster our infrastructure, transit in the metro, transit in greater Minnesota, uh, making sure that we're investing in our, our county highways, our state highways, our city streets um, across, the, across the state. We've got a million people who are going to be coming to the state in the next 15-plus years. Uh, we don't How do we know the, that? Have they written us? Have they, yeah, like, given yeah, notice? Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the knowers of these things tell us, and we believe them. Okay, uh, fair enough. Yeah, we, we have a state demographer, and, uh, you know, she tells us that stuff, and we believe her. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, uh, you know, she's, they've been pretty right on in the past. Uh, there's just, you know, I mean, so that's going to obviously put a lot of pressure on our transportation system. We can't just build enough roads to take that kind of pressure, nor do people want that, right. nor do we want to do that to our environment. So, uh, but we have done several things, or, or we've laid the groundwork uh, to do several things over the course of the summer. So we called this show the Thin Orange Line, and so the Orange Line is something that, uh, one big Orange Line fan, yeah. right, yeah. who sat in the front. Good. Uh, okay. You're going to have a rider. That's, that's good. Good. That's good. Um, That's good. So, Charles, I got the I got the red line here. <laughs> so it's not thin, but yeah. it's orange. Yeah. Can you can you, uh, a, uh, Commissioner right McLaughlin? Can you just tell us sort of uh, what is the orange line in case there's anybody here uh, who doesn't know and they didn't talk to her already? Okay. So, <laughs> well, so 35W is the busiest highway south of Minneapolis. Is the busiest highway mm-hmm. in the state of Minnesota. So this is going to be the completion of a transit line that'll go from downtown Minneapolis all the way into uh, Dakota County. And it will be service that's frequent. It will emulate uh, light rail service during rush hour at the Lake Street stop, which will be just magnificent compared to, especially compared to what there is there now. But at, right, because right now you basically get off on the highway right. at the Lake Street and stop, and then you climb down a naked uh, stairs or staircase. just a ladder, yeah, and then exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I always say it's either twenty below or you know, or it's yeah. uh, you know, twenty hundred. We're going to put in a zip line there. Pretty really? Good. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Okay, that's, that's the good. alternative. That's the low budget alternative. 
So during rush hour, though, there will be 90 buses going through there in an hour. So every 40 seconds, there'll be a bus coming to that stop. And it will carry, you know, thousands and thousands of people. And is that be- set now? Like, are we good? Are we're we good. doing that? We're good. We've got, the, we've got the money set aside. We've got, uh, we, we filled the, we filled the, the you know, some of the holes. There's still a, a state hole that we're, that we're working on, but we've got the local, and that's that Republican problem. But, uh, well, this is, so what happens if that hole doesn't get filled? Well, uh, <laughs> Senator, we're screwed. <laughs> I mean, like people always ask, what happens if we don't pass the a transportation line. bill? <laughs> we're screwed. We have to pass a transportation bill. That's just the simple answer. Yeah. Okay, so uh, that's, that's comforting. Uh, so it's pro- We're closer than we were, though, at the end of the session. Okay. We've got the other money pretty well lined up. So the Orange Line uh, is a bus rapid transit that goes up and down. So then the other project that uh, has been in the news a lot is Southwest Light Rail, which, um, so I, I have to tell you, and this is entirely honest, that for a long time... Oh, I you're w- not going to be entirely honest. Well, I mean, I, I we'll find out how far I get. So, uh, so the, but that for a long time I was like, you know, it's so hard to find people who are like really passionately pro Southwest LRT, and I was like, but Peter McLaughlin is, and maybe that's enough. Uh, <laughs> I try, I try. And so, uh, so where where are we right now with Southwest Light Rail? Well, on Southwest we have uh, we have the money that we need at the, at, for all the local share. The state's going to pay for half of it. We've got all of the local share money lined up and ready to go. We've managed to backfill the state's $144.5 well, when, when he says the state, in-state sources, not in the state. state. Again, yeah. we haven't done our job at the legislatures. But we've got, we figured out a way to get around that with uh, the Met Council, with the counties and the county's transit improvement board. And so now we're going to put in an application and it'll be uh, very competitive at the federal level and we'll try to get the Half the money that we need from the well, feds. But we could actually, you know, we could be starting construction next year. Well, that's interesting. So there's still a competitive process with the Fed. I thought the Fed money was more or less there uh, waiting for, for us. Well, it's always a competitive process. But, yes. We're, Is it we'll like be, a, we'll oh, be, it's a competitive We'll be process, very competitive. Or... We'll be very competitive. But there's a lot of competition. And that's, you know, when you when you're delay or when there's uncertainty about the, about the state's money, then the Fed starts saying, well, we'll go do something in Dallas or we'll do something in Denver. I mean, that's the problem. So now, now that we've got the money in place for Southwest, we can move forward. Uh, and we'll be very competitive because of the number of riders, because of where it goes, because of the planning that we've done around the station. The land use opportunities. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I mentioned, you know, you're, you've been a big proponent of this. I mean, we've had people on the show who are not big proponents of it. To, and, and I find it an interesting project because we both have people who are uh, very strong sort of transit proponents who are not huge fans of it because it does it, – they say, why don't we invest more in the, in the cities and do more sort of local bus and things options? And then – you have a lot of uh, folks who say, oh, this is just the cities helping themselves and to another boondoggle project. So help us make the case for – help make the case for, for Southwest Light Rail that, that wins us over. Well, they said, they said Hiawatha was a boondoggle until it opened, and then it blew the doors off on ridership. They said the green line connecting the two cities was a boondoggle till we, till it opened But up. both of those so, are in-city ones, right? Like, I no, mean, no, the, no, the no, blue line goes blue down to Bloomington, but – there are there are going to be 260,000 jobs on that on that line, and we want to in the modern economy. You want to connect people from the city to the suburban jobs. You want to connect suburban people to the city jobs, and we're creating. These are the big lines. This isn't all we should be doing on transit. We need the transportation bill, as Scott said, to do to fill in on bus investments as well. But in terms of getting the kind of the big pieces in place, 
the line to the Mall of America and the airport, the line connecting Minneapolis and St. Paul, a line out of St. Paul to the east, one up to Brooklyn Park, and then one down to Eden Prairie. I mean, if you think about it, that's the kind of basic skeleton that you need to build, and then you start filling in. We've got the A-line bus line already now, major bus line from the 46th Street stop up to... So that's bus right. rapid transit that yeah, runs right. up Snelling Avenue, frequent service that emulates yep. uh, light rail transit. So and we're building a system, and you can't build it all at once. We didn't build the freeway system all at once. We're building a system, but these are the, these are the basic pieces of... of you know, the, the, the structure that you've got to have in place. These huge lines, they're going to carry huge numbers of people, and they're going to propel us into a 21st century transportation system. That's what we want. And, and I, have a, I have a question about the, the legislature piece, but just one other to kind of complete the case of this, uh, because the other piece that you hear people say is, sure, I support this idea of a line, but, you know, uh, A-line sounds great, orange line sounds great. Why not just do a bus rapid transit? Why do we need to do this, this rail that is so much more expensive? Well, we, we studied buses on University Avenue. We studied buses in the Southwest Corridor. And there's just so much ridership, number one, that you can't really, de you can't really do it with buses alone. And the trains, you get three trains with one driver, can carry huge volumes of people. Have it's, you thought about a, just bigger buses, just like infinitely longer? Infinitely <laughs> longer, but it's also you know, a dedicated right-of-way. But, yeah, I mean, maybe you could string you know, four mm -hmm. buses together, but that's sort of what a train is. Orange Line is going to have dedicated right-of-way, right? It, it's dedicated. It's on the shoulder. Yeah. And then the it, interior it, shoulder, though. Yes, to, yes, the interior shoulder. So it's going to be there. So, so uh, like... That's going to be fat. So that means, yeah, <laughs> depends which side you're sitting on. That's not going to make sense <laughs> to our like podcast audience. Piece of clothing, uh, <laughs> uh, like so a, like a shrug. Uh, so this was a <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, orange line, like yeah. a shrug. I know my wardrobe. Uh, that should someone call Brian Lamb. Have him put that on the thing. So, um, so. Uh, so th this is the uh -huh. question I want. So uh, a transportation bill is held up, uh, and we've had Republicans on our show who say, you know, that uh, they really uh, don't like Southwest Light Rail for one reason or another, and uh, that that was what was holding up uh, a transportation bill. I mean, does, is that was that your sort of understanding? No, of, no, no, that's uh, that's a myth and a kind of a kind of a distraction. Um, they they talk about Southwest LRT because there is some controversy. It's not perfect. <laughs> Um, but it's hard to get a, a transit line perfect in a fully built urban area, and so it's, there's just going to be a lot of problems. Um, the fact of the matter is, is that the Republicans turned in a transportation proposal that essentially gutted all transit, including regular route scheduled bus service, by 25% over the coming uh, five or six years. Um, they hate transit. That's, that's so just this a is actually a really interesting <laughs> question that I've try been trying to figure out for a while is, when did this happen, in Minnesota in particular, because there was a time when transit wasn't so, wasn't so I, I should back mm. up. We've had, well, I mean, Tim Pawlenty, right, like signed off on Green Line, and he, well, he's, well, uh, over, well uh, he was forced to crawl over <laughs> cut glass, and the legislature made him do it, you know, uh, you know, because we had, transit, we had, yeah, I mean, I mean we, we had the leverage been, over, over Tim Pawlenty at it's that time. It's always been sort of a side issue. This, yeah. this region has, like, every, well, most every region in the country was about roads, and we're trying to make we're trying to crawl back. And the Republicans, frankly, they love the buses. The day we're debate they're debating LRT, but when it comes to the day to fund the buses, they're nowhere to be found. So yeah, and you get Frank Hornstein uh, into the show, we and have, he can tell yeah. you about how many times he's had viable proposals 
uh, amendments to support just the bus system, and they, those amendments go down. They go down. And we should, I should say for uh, everyone that we actually did invite several, uh, the entire actually, I sent emails to every member of the Senate uh, Transportation Committee, all Republicans, and uh, none of them had decided to come on. But uh, no, I, I'm serious. I want them to come on because I'm very interested in this question because, you know, I, I get transportation or transit rather might have been a side issue at some point. But it does seem it seems like it must be somewhat different now where, you know, y- you look at uh, a lot of Republican sort of uh, campaign Web pages and it's like, you know, I'm pro-life, I'm pro-gun and I'm anti-Southwest yes. light rail. Yes. And it's like these three. And that seems like a right. that seems a right. different right. level of priority. And I'm not sure how yeah, this happens. Uh, um, uh, so it's, it's hard to, uh, you know, uh, Subscribe motive. <laughs> uh, Go nuts. And we no try one not to, to this try show. not to do that. <laughs> but uh, I would venture that this is a part of a political program to benefit an electoral outcome. And the fact of the matter is, is in the in the last electoral cycle, there was a lot of trading of resentment against um, the success of the urban area because the rural areas um, aren't participating as fully in the in the prosperity and in the in the booming economy in Minnesota, and that's tough. I mean. So things aren't working well for folks in a lot of areas. And, and in the metro area, you know, in this area in Uptown, for example, shiny new buildings and, you know, new transit investments and people um, getting jobs, uh, you know. I mean, it's true in the urban area, too, of course. And, you know, we know what's going on in North Minneapolis with the African-American community and, and, and others who aren't participating fully. Um, but if you go out to rural Minnesota, you just see that um, they're, they're not coming along. And so there's this, there's this effort to really uh, trade in that kind of division, resentment, um, you know, zero-sum game politics. And Southwest is kind of a surrogate for, oh, look at the, the, the stuff that's going on in the urban area. It's taking away from you and your, and your roads, uh, which is not true, but it has very powerful political effect and, in people's and I minds. Think the long-term thinkers in the Republican Party see that these rail lines and the advance, investment in transit is actually bringing people and jobs into what are Democratic districts. And they don't want that. They want the sprawl to go out as far as possible. Wow. That is a level of conspiracy I haven't heard before. There we go. Thank you very much. I, I wake up in the middle of the night thinking about these yeah. things. I know. Uh, so uh, another question. So uh, we were able uh, – so um, the, the Met Council and CTIB and the counties and a few others were able to piece together the funding for Southwest Light Rail so that you could move forward to the bid. Uh, I've heard some people say, though uh, – and actually I believe it was uh, at the – conversation uh, at CTIP about this uh, that says, this is a horrible precedent to set because it's basically why should the legislature ever come back to why should the Republicans or the state legislature ever feel like they have to do it? Because look at the counties did it themselves. They've been pretty uh, immune to that guilting of themselves. I mean, (laughs) they haven't haven't responded very well, so we had to just do it ourselves. I mean, that's kind of the... the So is that the model going forward? Well, that's why we need need some taxing authority from the legislature. We will do it in the metro. That's what they do in Denver and Phoenix and Seattle and all over the country. The metro area itself taxes itself and builds these things out. That's what we need. Right, right. And that... uh, So, yeah, it's a terrible idea. Um, But but you do what you have to uh, to get stuff done. Um, so, I mean, and this, this cobbling together the, the sources, the capital sources to, to build the line is, is not ideal. Uh, going on, on into the future, you know, what most metropolitan areas do is they, you know, they um, tax like one cent, and that pays for all of their transit operating and capital. Um, and that's not ideal because, of course, in the metro area, 
we would be taxing ourselves to build what amount to statewide transportation facilities. I mean, the amount of people. I mean, for example, in, in 35W South, um, the Orange Line is going to move the equivalent of almost two full lanes of, of, of what would be single occupant vehicle traffic during the peak hour. That rises to the level of state investment. And in the metro area, we also, of course, pay, um, you know, uh, general fund uh, taxes and gas taxes, which all uh, go out to greater Minnesota to support their roads and their bridges and, and, and their, their cap, the, the needs they have for transit. So we're, we'll be paying entirely for our own transit and participating in paying for greater Minnesota transportation needs as well. So a lot of urban legislators are offended on the principle mm -hmm. uh, because they're not wrong. It's, it's, you know, we should all be in this together and investing in the major transportation infrastructure that moves lots and lots of people. But believe me, after having fought these fights for going on 17 years in the state legislature, never having an, any cooperation from Republicans and trying to build a modern transit system for the metro area, I'm ready for us to go it alone in the metro and just do what needs to be done. I'm ready to do that. And uh, so I, I, I see this. Uh, there, there seems to be such like pros and cons of this because you, you go it alone. I mean, for the longest time, I think that Minnesota has very much prided itself as being sort of you know a state that we're largely in this together. As much as maybe there are divisions, you know, Minnesota Miracle and all these things were really based on people going together. But more and more, I do hear people from both sides saying, "No, we're uh, like metro. Do what you want to do. Uh, you know." Greater Minnesota, do what you want to do, but, and but rural will never be able to do what it wants to do because the metro will always subsidize the major effort. We, you know, we support local government aid, which buys down property taxes at the municipal and county level, um, and we support through the county state aid highway fund. We subsidize to a great extent most of the county state aid highway building. Um, we also support the the state highway building that goes on in Greater Minnesota. So. It'll be Metro, you know, do what you need to do, and Metro give us a bunch of money too. So, so I mean, the, the the notion here, I mean. Okay, you can wring your hands about it really isn't unfair, and I agree with all that, and it's, it's not the best way to do things. It doesn't represent one state. But the reality is if the southwest line gets delayed one year, it costs $50 bucks, and you get nothing because of inflation. I mean, you're staring at that very, very firm reality. Well, I did see there was a press release that came out from the, the Met Council when we were still talking about a special session that had something along these lines that, you know, for every day that we delay the Southwest light rail, it will be $1 million, which every seemed week, like every week. every week. It still seemed a little like, you know, a ransom note or something like that. <laughs> that works sometimes, you know? <laughs> Guilt doesn't work. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, I, I mean, I worry about that sort of as a larger political issue, and you're both elected officials, that the, the state really does seem to be sort of dividing along that urban uh, rural lines. I, I, is there some – I don't know. How does that ch change? How do you sort of turn that back? Well, um, I, it comes back to elections and what people want and, and uh, you know, the values that they express through their vote and the values that they express through, uh, you know, how they um, interact with their, with their candidates and their elected officials. I mean, this is – you know, this is up to the people. You know, there's somehow or another, there is a political system that has uh, taken place and, and, and really entrenched in St. Paul um, that, that may or may not be uh, consistent with how uh, Minnesotans feel. It's hard to say exactly. I continue to think, and, and I think we've seen a lot of great recent examples where uh, Minnesota is just a little bit better than a lot of other states. We do incredible things, and, and we, you know, we, we defeated um, the anti-voting uh, uh, constitutional amendment, and we defeated the anti-marriage amendment. We can do these things where we come together. So Minnesota, that we knew is still there, 
Um, but for some reason, um, there's also Minnesota um, that trades on fear and division. You see how the GOP is, is capitalizing on uh, anti-immigrant fear and bias in the aftermath of the tragedy in St. Cloud yesterday. I mean, that is disreputable that they're taking political advantage of that tragedy to try to win the election in a few weeks. Um, so somehow these, these politics of fear and division are working, um, but I still think uh, Minnesotans are good in their hearts. I hope so. That would be, it, would be, it would be news if you came up here and said something opposite like, you know, I used to think that Minnesotans were good in their hearts, but, uh, uh, but, uh, but I mean, so I, 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 large, I, mean, uh, I, I see this division, but I see it on both sides because I think that there is a critique to, to be made that, uh, that the, the DFL has sort of created something of a stronghold in the, the metropolitan area and some of the suburbs. And if you just look at the map, that there's not uh, there's not sort of the greater Minnesota DFLers that there there were the the sort of the distribution looks a lot different than it ever has before. And I'm just wondering, sort of as a party, how what's the strategy? Is there a strategy to try and shift some of that back? Did the DFLers look more like everybody across the state of Minnesota than just maybe the the metro area? Well, I, it, it's you know. I, it's hard to say exactly um, uh, whether or not um, there's going to be more of a blend of red and blue districts out in, in greater Minnesota going into the future. I do think um, more and more of the regional economic centers are going to look more and more red, the Rochesters, the St. Clouds, of course. More and more red? I mean blue. Excuse okay. Me, blue. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's news. Yeah. yeah. Excuse me. Um, uh, so uh, you know, so I think you know we're seeing uh, we're, we're seeing population shift is affecting that. Uh, people are, are really leaving the rural and deep rural areas and coming to um, the regional centers yeah. and to the metropolitan area. So that has yeah. something to do with it as well. You see the suburbs, um, however, shifting very dramatically to blue and, and very very quickly mm, um, as yeah. well. So that's that's a new development as well. So not just the first tier, but the second and, and even reaching beyond the second tier suburbs becoming more and more democratic and people wanting. Um, uh, a different kind of, of life than, than we've seen in the past. That is, that is uh, fueled by investments in alternative modes of transportation yeah. and different forms of, of how they you know, get around to jobs and services and school and that sort of thing. They like to live more proximate to things, have more vibrancy in their neighborhoods and communities, um, even in the first and second tier suburbs. So uh, before, uh, so I should say, uh, in a moment, we're going to turn it over to our improvisers. In the second half of the show, we open it up to you all for questions. Uh, but before we end this first half, I have to ask about CTIB stuff, because I feel like CTIB uh, is like the most powerful thing that no one's ever heard of, uh, which makes you sort of like the most powerful. Uh, you, you're, I, I don't even know, like, you're one of the wizards. Well, counties, you know, Peter and I have joked about, you know, no one knows what the hell county commissioners even do, and they get paid, yeah. what, three times what I get paid, and... Uh, they get away with murder. <laughs> I will and tell then you, everyone. And bring all the counties together. And <laughs> there is a county commissioner in the theater right now who is not on stage. See if you can find them. <laughs> I bet you can't. All right. So, uh, so, uh, so, uh, can you first of all just get a real basic? Uh, what is CTIP? Sure. What? In the 2008 transportation bill, the legislature, because they didn't want to pass the tax themselves, oh heaven forbid, they'd pass the tax. Well, and we also didn't want to stick it in Kim Pawlenty's hands. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So. They said, okay, counties, you, you, can, you can have the authority to pass a tax, a quarter of a percent sales tax in your county, and it has to be used for expansion of the transit system. So five of the seven counties, Scott and Carver didn't do it. They represent you know, less than 10% of the metro population. <laughs> Way to throw them under the bus. No, <laughs> thank you. I mean, thank you. Uh, pun intended, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Bus> tra- <laughs> so 
five counties put the quarter cent tax in. It now generates about $117, $118 million a year. It's what we now pay for 30% of the of the cost of these lines, which is 60% of the non-federal share. So sure. we're the biggest investor. Including 50% of the operating. And, and 50% of the operating cost of these lines. And so it's what moves the lines forward. We couldn't have built the green line with, without that county investment. But I don't want to open up fresh wounds, but not all has been well in CTIB land. Not of uh, late. Not no. of late. So It used to be a unanimous vote at CTIB. But and so what's, tell, what's the what, – we've had a county – Our friends to the south, Dakota and they, County have decided that they feel that they are aggrieved. And, and so I, what is that? I mean, make their case. No, I mean, uh, you know their story. I mean, their story is they think they're not getting enough money out of the, out of the deal. And, and, you know, maybe they can disrupt the legislative session by pulling out, too. That's the other another can conspiracy they? theory. Well, it didn't help. Uh, <laughs> so, but, so they're deciding they, they can leave. Now, we put in provisions to allow a county to leave. That's fine. We have orderly procedures. They have to stay for three more years because we didn't want people just jumping in, jumping out, jumping in, jumping out. So they're, they're, uh, they're going to get out because they don't think they have enough, they're getting enough uh, investment out of their CTIB taxes. And so that's their prerogative. Uh, Will that make it, it so that CTIB in the next three years wants to do something so that they stick around? Well, or, you know, I don't know. They, they, haven't, they haven't expressed any interest whatsoever in sticking around. I mean, and you, I've asked Have them. you tried? Really? You're like a, I said, like, I'll come down any time. a zip line to, like, yeah, down there? Across the Minnesota or, River, yeah. I mean, yeah. any that, like, do you know, I mean, because if they saw the, the sort of, you know, if they, if they felt the return on investment, might they not be sort of persuaded to stick around? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, they have a vision that's highway-oriented, I have to say. And it's not the first. I mean, they they tried to get the Metropolitan Council decertified as the Metropolitan Planning Organization. They hired a fancy lobbyist in Washington. So it's not the first time they've tried to kind of blow up the system. So the other the other sort of forward-looking question that we actually had somebody submit online before the show about CTIB was: so uh, if we do move more towards this, uh, the metro area sort of uh, self-funding some of these projects. Right now, CTIB largely funds these major projects, right? right? Green Line, uh, Southwest Light Rail, things like that. Is there potential that it starts doing some of those more connectivity projects that you've talked about, like yeah, uh, yeah. bus a rapid transit, other transit? Absolutely. I mean, the reason we don't invest in those right now is we don't have the money. We don't have sufficient resources. It's a quarter of a percent. It raises $117 million, but it only raises $117 million. We have to spend on Southwest over a half a billion dollars. And so we're, we're, narrow, we're supposed to be doing transit expansion, but if we had more resources, and I've told, I've told people this, you know, we do the, we do the bus, the ulterior busways that there's a dozen of them that they want right. to build. What we would there, do this is, is um, the, this is the group right here planning. I love it. There's a dozen so they want Write that down. Yeah, you know, right? I don't know, whatever. Yeah. So, uh, so what, what it, you know, if, if, if my bill were to pass, we'd bring, we'd bring the, the, um, sales tax that we devote to transit purposes in the metropolitan area to a full cent, like almost every other metropolitan. Some metropolitan areas are above a cent, but we just bring it to a full cent. That would put uh, four to five hundred million bucks on the table per year. That would allow um, the entire capital effort for new transit ways, bus rapid transit, uh, et cetera. Bus expansion. Um, yeah, and, bus and, expansion. And, and, uh, and local regular route service, because we need to grow that quite a bit as well. Um, so, and that's a, both a capital, those are both capital and operating um, prospects, propositions, um, and and that amount could take care of uh, virtually all of that. We would still need some general fund dollars to come from the state to pay for paratransit for seniors and, and people with disabilities, 
uh, in the form of Metro Mobility and some of the, some of those other services. But then we wouldn't have we wouldn't get into this. Uh, you know this uh, tussle and, and all of this uh, horse trading in the bonding bill to get the capital purport. You know that 10% mm -hmm. that comes from the state in the bonding bill. You know all this battling we do every year to maintain our general fund position uh, for for transit uh, to operate the bus system and the train system and the like. Um, uh, some of those dollars would be um, uh, put in the hands of CTIB. Some would put in the, and some would put, be put in the hands of the Met Council. There's always this negotiation that goes on between. The two of them, um, I would insist that uh, municipalities have a meaningful place at the table because municipalities are responsible for the economic development and a lot of the local services that transit shapes and, and influences a great deal as well. So uh, last question before we go and to a break. We also pay for bike and pet infrastructure too. Right? That's good. There's several. Yeah. Those are all the people who biked and headed here. Um, so uh, this is my last question before we go to the improvisers. And you sort of mentioned this. A lot of uh, several, many other metro areas uh, are doing something like this. So who is it that we should be afraid is going to be cooler than us or more transit-focused than us? Like, who's our con who do we have to beat? Have you ever thought of just phrasing it that way? Every like other city uh, like us is already beating us. They're beating the pants of us. We're falling way behind. Uh, you know, like, give us some hard Den Denver, Denver's opening six lines this year. Yeah. Okay. Denver's opening six, six. lines, and they have yeah. marijuana. Yeah. Like, yeah, what? yeah what? right, exactly. Yeah. And mountains. Yeah. <laughs> Salt Lake City, which is run pretty much by Republicans, is, has got a bunch of lines. Uh, Phoenix is yeah, doing yeah. expansion. Seattle, and of course Portland. <laughs> Portland, uh, yeah. Although we're beating them on bike. All right. Yeah. On that, yeah. We're number one. Ladies and gentlemen, a big round of Okay, I feel like there's plenty of questions, so uh, if, you have a, if you have a question, please raise your hand and I'll make my way sort of from front to, you're standing. I'm going to come here first because you make me nervous with your standing. My question is, are the Republicans counter, are the, are the Republicans against public transportation because it's primarily used by women? Is that true? Is, is public transportation primarily used by women? I don't know the number. Yes, uh, true, true. It, I love it. He's got a staff? he's got a ringer in the no, audience. Yeah, <laughs> it's always good to have a ringer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I I'm get I well I don't well know. we were talking about prescribing. I don't think that voters. has much to do with it actually. <laughs> yeah. I, I do They're think opposition. there's a, a kind of an uh, economic element to yes. it. Uh, it's considered. Uh, transportation welfare, poor people transportation. You know, we we pay for that transportation, uh, and we pay for our own transportation, which is a by the way a myth. Can you All explain forms of transportation how that are are subsidized? Right. Can you talk yeah. a little bit about that myth? Because I've gotten into that that argument with some people. So uh, people say, just like you said, oh, uh, transportation, you know, uh, or transit. You know, mm -hmm. we're all subsidizing the buses. You know, when I drive on the roads, I'm paying gas tax and I'm paying this, that, or the other thing. So. What's wrong with that argument? Um, the, uh, the short version is that roads themselves are subsidized by taxes of what we call taxes of general purpose, mostly the, the property tax. You know, we have about 90% of, our, of our, the miles in, in Minnesota are owned by local units of government. Uh, only uh, 10, 10 plus percent is owned by counties in the state. Um, and uh, most of the effort that goes into uh, owning, building, operating, the local roadway system is is through the property tax. So the round over a, well over a billion dollars a year in property taxes or property based fees, special assessments and the like, subsidize the road system. And 
in my time on the county board, we've replaced four bridges across the Mississippi River, and I will tell you, they're not all paid for by gas tax and motor vehicle excise tax. They're, they're property taxes that go into that, or state bonds, which are paid off by the general fund. So it, just, it is a myth. It's a convenient myth for opponents, but it's a myth. Yeah, the, it, the, the way the misnomer comes up is because the fares um, that folks pay uh, for um, bus service or you know, for a ride on the train doesn't pay the full operating cost. Um, but um, uh, just like you know, driving down the road, you're not paying the full freight through your gas tax, your license tax, fees, or your motor vehicle sales tax. Okay, we have a lot of questions. You're standing. All right. Yes. Hi. I, you both know me, Chris. I'm the Republican my, candidate my for state senate in this district. My who, question who, who is: does care about transit? I'm going to just help you out. You should yeah. announce your name if you're running in this district. <laughs> I, if I was in campaign mode, I'd have the paper bag over my head. It's a tough year for Republicans. But the question that I have is, would you both like your audience to actually hear a Republican perspective on transit and transportation? Because I'd be happy to provide one. It's your show, but yeah. Yeah, sure. uh, yeah what, what, can, can you, uh, keeping in mind, we have a lot of questions. Uh, yes. Okay. Oh, no. Oh. I'm not giving away the microphone. <laughs> That's not how this works. No. Okay. So how much time do I get? Uh, we're going to just do it uh, through 60 seconds. All right. Uh, all right. 60 seconds is not enough time. But I'll, I'll uh, tell you this. I'll be outside the front door after this event if anybody wants to hear. You're not even going to use the 60 seconds for telling the people? <laughs> I, I will repeat what I said. I will be outside the front door after this event if you want to hear this perspective. So I'll just say for the record, Bob, Bob Carney, my opponent, is a good man who uses transit every day and actually does believe in transit. You were so. Bob again, transit yeah. revolution Carney, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. So well, yes, and you could you could even stand over by our food barrel, and then uh, and people could talk to you just on the way out. Yeah, I, I won't do the can can, but I might do the can. We'll see. Okay, good. Uh, dance is uh, uh, promised. All right, all the way in the back, just to make me work. Uh, all right, good. I had a beer already, so here you go. I, I'm okay with taxing for transit, but I'm just curious a little bit about Minneapolis because Minneapolis has a high sales tax already. Would they get a break if other taxes were raised? Oh, that's an interesting question. So, if yeah. you raise, sort yeah. of, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good point, and it would, it, it would, uh, you know, it would be a problem. So, we'd probably have to take a look at that because, uh, especially in downtown Minneapolis, there's a lot of taxes, and um, it would put a lot of, a lot of pressure and uncompetitive pressure on, on retail and, and food service and that sort of thing. So, it's a good point. Thanks, Peter. Uh, other questions up here while I'm up here. Otherwise, I'm going to start making my way. Yes, right in the middle. Another terribly convenient one. Oh, okay. can, I can I touch it? Okay. <laughs> no. No, God forbid. Uh, the orange line is almost as spectacular as uh, our commissioner's jacket. But uh, I understand that it's uh, the thin orange line has gotten a little bit thinner in the last 24 hours. Uh, $7 million thinner. I was just wondering uh, what your reaction is to that. I don't know what it uh -oh. Did you just uh, break news? Uh, that's what I was talking about before. Uh, so uh, there's a bunch of emails shooting around that uh, uh, CTIB is going to have a proposal to cut another $7.5 uh from the capital commitment to the, to the Orange Line on Wednesday. 
and everyone's, well, the, everyone's worried about that. Well, the issue is going to be, is Dakota County going to contribute? So, you know, that's the, that's the deal. That's the deal. So. so did that answer your question, sort of? So uh, I, I do want to... I do have one thing, though. Yeah, I, I really, You know, I'm not... I think we need an environmental impact statement extension on the orange line because I'm not quite sure why it's the orange line. So I went to the paint store to oh. just check here. <laughs> this guy. And I've got... <laughs> He's trying I mean, too there, hard. There, there are a variety of names that would be, you know, much better. Uh, you know, burning, burning, uh, burning. You want to name a transit line the burning anything? The burning I'm going to just tell you. <laughs> <laughs> How about joyful change, Orange? Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I just think we do need to kind of look at that question of the. I just. Why is I, it the orange line? A, really? a, a round of applause, anyone who brings props to an improv show. Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, uh, so there's more hands, and then I'll and then I, I have another question too. But yes, oh look, it's a ringer question. All right, <laughs> I, I have a I live on the border of Dakota County and Ramsey County, and I'm just sort of interested in I want to know what we can do to bring them back because I would love to see great transit in my neighborhood going south and north to downtown down to Dakota County, and I just I'm really worried that's not going to happen, and I want to I want to. Well, I, I, I really appreciate that question because the way these lines have been generated over the years is the local people, residents, uh, city people, county commissioners have gotten together and, and worked on coming up with a proposal. I mean, that's how Hiawatha came about. There was supposed to be a freeway down Hiawatha Avenue that the community stopped in the 1960. And they came up with the idea of light rail transit back then. And so... You need to talk to your county commissioners and say, you know, we want you back in. Talk to your mayors, too. They really want transit to serve Dakota County. Yeah, Robert Street, you know, is, seems to have fallen by the wayside, and that would be a great transit connection down Robert Street. Um, but, you know, a mayor was elected in, in uh, South St. Paul that kind of killed that idea. Okay, right here in the front. Uh, transit projects get a lot of public scrutiny after the fact. Um, <laughs> whether it's in the media or I think there's also just maybe government scrutiny that happens. If, uh, are, is MnDOT held to the same scrutiny on road projects? And if so or if not, do you think that they would pass uh, the scrutiny test in a lot of cases? Um, so the question is, uh, is really uh, predicated on the idea of roadway expansion. Um, and I mean like ridership and how many people actually come right, use the Right, 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 yeah. Uh, the short answer to your question is no. Um, you know, it's just kind of like a priori kind of, you know, the way of the universe that, oh, we're just going to respond to uh, trans traffic pressure, um, or we're just going to build more and wider and more and wider and more and wider um, without question. Um, that actually, so individual projects, um, you, know, uh, you know, kind of preceding um, uh, decisions around economic development, land use, you know, kind of what communities want for themselves. Um, th those questions, that analysis had, had never been asked. The fact is, is that MnDOT really is changing course rather dramatically, and, and, and they've said pretty clearly, even if we were to pass a fairly robust transportation bill, that we just don't have the, the same kind of dollars to do that level of capacity expansion as we've done for the past couple of generations. Um, and so uh, we are actually embarking on a kind of a new era in which uh, the first question asked is, what do we want to achieve? What is the impact on our environment? You know, what do we want the, the, the built environment to look like? 
uh, and we just don't have the dollars to do significant roadway expansion. So what is the best mode? Uh, what are the best alternatives? What are the best <coughs> traffic management techniques? That sort of thing. So um, there, there, is, there are a lot of changes. Some of those were, were statutory, were, were policies I was able to pass it through the legislature uh, to make sure that MnDOT was going through that analysis and do long-term planning in a different way. Well, I, mean, I, I think it's fair to say that there's a, there have always been special rules for LRT. I mean, the various special provisions, little pieces of ground glass of various sizes that you have to crawl across to get the light rail done. So that's always been an imbalance in that direction. I, I do have a question about this, and it goes, you, you described the transportation bill that the Senate passed as progressive and whatnot, but one of the questions I always, uh, I'm curious about with any transportation bill is sort of how much of it is, uh, I'm sorry, I should back up. A lot of times we hear people say, oh, we need to pass this transportation bill. We need to fix our roads and bridges. But how much of like a transportation bill is fixing roads and bridges that we actually have versus building brand new ones? Um, the, the vast majority of, of the bill that we ha the bills that we have passed and that we intend to pass would be bringing our roads up, uh, up to standards. Our roads are actually in pretty bad condition, um, and, and, uh, and we're falling further and further behind every year. So we need to do a couple of things. One is fix them uh, because they're just simply falling apart, um, uh, strengthen some of the roads so that they can actually uh, bear the, the, the frequency and the loads uh, to get the commodities from greater Minnesota uh, to the metropolitan area and to the national and international markets. Um, so, so part of that is uh, is a substantial capital effort to strengthen the the how robust the the county highways and the state highways are. Support our local units of government because they can't afford to keep up with the 90% of the miles um, that we're talking about. Um, and do some safety improvements. There's a lot of of roadways that are substandard. Again, that's a lot of capital effort. That's making sure we have good shoulders, making sure we have good sight lines, good curves. Um, some of the engineering changes that we're making to improve roadway safety. Um, and then um, do some, some capacity uh, uh, work in some key corridors and some bottlenecks and that sort of like thing. Like expanding some of these highways and roads? Yeah, in some places we have, we have, like, we have um, state highways that connect uh, regional centers, like Highway 14 is the classic example across southern Minnesota uh, from Rochester all the way over to way out west. I can't remember what city it terminates in. But um, it goes from two lanes to four lanes to two lanes to four lanes, and it's got bad shoulders and rough pavement. and. Um, many, many accidents, and so clearly that should be two lanes in both directions the whole way for safety and for uh, capacity needs. Because we have, you know, we do have a million folks um, coming to the to the uh, to the state, and some of them are going to, many of them are going to be located in the metropolitan area. We've got to build a, a modern transit system uh, for that kind of population and transportation pressure. But a lot of folks are going to be locating in the regional centers as well. In most of the deaths across the country on, in traffic accidents are in, in uh, rural areas. And so there, are, there is a big safety agenda to be taken care of in, in uh, greater Minnesota. Uh, so uh, sort of last qu uh, question maybe for, for this half is, so, uh, you know, we have to pass the transportation bill, you said. Uh, we, we need to what, – what's – where do we go, I guess, from here? You know, I, I think that there's already some talk at that uh, the East Metro feels like maybe they're feeling left out. Uh, there's a lot of sort of debate around um, Botno and about where exactly that should go, uh, how where the stops might be through North Minneapolis in terms of um, justice and equity in those communities. So uh, if this, I guess, there's a question of like, if this is this hard, uh, how, how do you move forward with some of these projects that are probably going to be a lot trickier? 
Well, on the, on the Botno line, there's been a lot of planning, and Senator Champion actually led a planning exercise in North Minneapolis, six to eight months long. And we should, I'm sorry, I should have said what Botno is exactly. Botno goes from, uh, from Target Field. It'll be an extension of the Blue Line from Target Field up through uh, Crystal Robbinsdale, Golden Valley, uh, up to uh, Brooklyn Park, uh, along the, partly along the Botno Corridor. And that, uh, there's been a lot of work that's been done on that. Uh, one of the plans was to run it up Penn Avenue. The difficulty of running it up Penn Avenue through North Minneapolis is that you'd have to take out the houses on one side of the street and the neighbors that Senator Champion led the process, they were There's not There's a really ready for deep that. sigh when you yes, said sigh, that. It's somewhere right. in the exactly. audience. Uh, yeah. that's, that's it. Yeah, so just for the audience, so for the entire, there, there's a precedence with Rondo and the highway coming through and really tearing up some neighborhoods. And uh, so, what? So yeah, if you don't want to do that piece, then what do you no, do? No, no. I mean, there is a route that's yeah. been decided so. upon. It's been a long process. There's a there's the Riverview corridor that would go from downtown St. Paul to the uh, the airport and the Mall of America. So that one's in the planning stages. It is complicated. How does it go down West Seventh, and how does it get across the Mississippi River? Not trivial questions, but you know that's being worked on right now. The gateway that goes out to out to uh, to the east to Woodbury, and that one is in the planning stages. That's going to be a bus rapid transit line dedicated right away. So that's that one's called the, the Gold Line. The Gold Line, yes. You uh, have to have us back. Flaming Gold, a, I think. Is it, yeah. uh, <laughs> and I'm uh, holding out for the Fuchsia or the Violet Line. It's going to happen. Can't be a gay chair of transportation without getting your. Fuchsia line, <laughs> violet line. Yeah. So uh, we were talking before about uh, Denver, uh, as we mentioned, is Denver is going to open. I, I was just in Denver. They're going to open at least three new lines, something in the next three months. Uh, and so we're talking about three new lines. When are they, like 2020, 2030? So Southwest would open in 2020. The orange line would be 2020. Uh, Riverview, we're hoping 2022. Botno, maybe 2021. Those are those are optimistic, but uh, we keep pushing, you know, keep pushing them forward. But I mean, we've been the lack of a funding source has slowed Southwest down. It slowed the Orange Line down, and so now if we can get these things lined up, then we can start moving ahead faster. That's the goal. And right. is there any, and I know we, we said already, there's not sort of one uh, linchpin, one silver bullet to make it, but uh, you do hear about these other communities that build some of these faster. If people want, and I'm not presuming that everybody does, but if people want these things to happen faster, happen more rapidly the way they do in some other communities, wh what's the what's the key that needs to be turned for some of that? November 8th. <laughs> Okay, well, on that note, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, a big round of applause for both of our guests, uh, Senator Scott Dibble, Commissioner Peter McLaughlin. Thank you for listening. Our show was recorded live at the Bryant Lake Bowl in Minneapolis. If you'd like to see us in person, you can find our schedule by going to www.t2p2.net or find us on Facebook or Twitter. Thanks.